Chapter One of the Little Foresters: A Story of Field and Woods. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Campbell Shelp. The Little Foresters: A Story of Field and Woods by Clarence Hawkes. Chapter One: Grandma's Winter Visitors. Not all children are as fortunate in living near to their grandparents as we were, for it is not often that one can go to his grandmother's at any time of day in ten or fifteen minutes. But this was the fact in our case, and we thought ourselves very lucky indeed. When we were tired of playing at home and longed for something different, we would go in and say, "Mother, may we go up to Grandma's?" To which mother would usually reply. Yes, dears. If you will be good and do just as grandmother tells you, and will start for home before dark, then there was a shout of joy and a clatter of small feet down the garden path, and we were gone. The walk over to grandmother's was a never-ending source of delight. First, it led out through our own garden and into the orchard. What child who is country-born does not recall the old orchard with delight? There are its straight rows of quaint trees, each different from the other, and each having some peculiar limb or hiding place under the roots that the other does not possess. If it is autumn, there is the fruit, bright red and yellow, loading the limbs down even to breaking. If it is springtime, how sweet the air is with the scent of apple blossoms, and how pleasant is the drowsy droning of the bees as they gather honey. Down through the old orchard winds the path to grandmother's until it is lost to sight in the beech woods. Here in the springtime are green mossy knolls where hepatica and partridge berry love to hide, and tender young ferns and bloodroot. Further on beyond the woods is a meadow where a little brook sings joyously all day long. What a temptation to sit long upon the plank bridge, dangling one's feet over the cool water! Watching the minnows play hide and seek in its eddies, or the gleam of sunlight upon the ever-changing ripples, but we must not loiter too long, for up through another orchard, as delightful even as our own, we can see the pleasant old farmhouse under the big elms. Although we cannot see her yet, we know that grandmother is standing there on the porch, waiting to welcome us with a smile on her face and a cheery word. Then we know there will be an invitation to come in and see what grandmother has been baking. It may be gingerbread or it may be cakes, but it is sure to be something good. When I go way back into the dim corners of my memory to those things that are almost forgotten, I am sure to see a kindly old woman with a cap and spectacles, and the sweetest kind of a smile. That is my grandmother, and a dearer old lady never lived. For although her years were many, yet her heart was always young and full of sweet sympathy for children. It was from her that we learned that most important lesson of being kind to animals, and particularly to birds and squirrels, of which she was very fond. In the winter time, when the storms came and the winds blew, and these little creatures were cold and hungry, it was her special delight to befriend them. In the summer, she would say. They can take care of themselves, but in the winter, when we are comfortably housed, we should think of them out in the cold. With these kind thoughts in her mind, 
Grandmother would scatter grains of buckwheat and breadcrumbs for the sparrows and the chickadees, and I would watch through the window while they hopped about on the snow picking up their breakfast. Then there was always a piece of meat nailed to a convenient post that the birds knew well. Many of them made their breakfast upon this half-frozen meat. There were chickadees and sparrows, woodpeckers and grosbeaks, snowbirds, and even an old crow came when very hungry, but he did not often venture so near the house. One night, just at dusk, I saw a curious-looking white owl standing upon the post making a late supper. But the strangest of all grandmother's feathered visitors, and one who is usually very wary, was an old cock partridge with big black ruffs and very pompous manners. This fine fellow would strut around with all the dignity of a turkey cock, but he would fly away with a great noise at the slightest sound. Grandma said it was unusual for a partridge to venture so near the house, and that there was a good reason for his coming. Several years before she had found him one day, by the roadside, stunned and nearly dead. She had carried him home in her hands, and had cared for him, keeping him in a hen-coop until he was well, when she had let him go. He had always remembered this kindness, and was occasionally seen near the house. Grandma said she knew him by the way he flew, one of his wings having been injured when she found him. But the cutest of all her winter pets was a pair of gray squirrels that I named Frisk and Frolly, from the manner in which they frisked and frolicked about, chasing each other up and down trees and all along the top of the wall. Sometimes they would go scurrying up the big maple in front of the house until it made me dizzy to look at them, and then I would ask Grandma if they would not fall, but they never did. The squirrels did not like the same things to eat that the birds did. Grandma always placed their breakfast upon the back porch so that I could watch them eat. It was great fun to see them stand upon their hind legs and turn a nut about in their forepaws and all the time keep their sharp teeth biting away at the shuck until the sweet meat was in sight, when they would eat it with great zest. Corn they were also fond of, and Frisk, the larger of the two squirrels, could carry off a whole ear at a time. This he always did when they started for the woods. Grandma said that he was taking it home for dinner, and of course Grandma knew. One evening late in the autumn, our parents being away on a visit, we children were sitting about a fire in the open grate while Grandmother told us stories. It was quite cold for the time of year, and a hard hailstorm had come up. It was so cozy, though, in the warm room, and so pleasant to sit inside and hear the storm beating against the window panes, that we were quite content with our lot. The stories had been discontinued for a few moments that we might better enjoy the warmth and firelight, when in a lull of the storm we heard a sharp blow against the window glass. "'What is that?' we children asked in astonishment, for it was strange enough that anything should be moving in such a storm." "'I think it was a bird,' replied Grandmother. "'The poor thing has probably become bewildered by the storm, "'and, attracted by the light, sought shelter in the warm room. "'It seemed so out of place that anything should be out in the storm, "'and we asked so many questions about the birds. "'What they did during storms, what kind of bird this one was, "'and was he hurt, that finally 
To satisfy our anxious questions, Grandma lighted the lantern and went out of doors to see what she could find. Presently she returned, bringing a small feathered object in her hand. It was a poor little sparrow who had not known the danger in the window glass and had dashed his head against the hard surface. Thus what had seemed to be an escape from the storm and a refuge had brought him low. He lay feebly fluttering in Grandmother's hand, and we children all gathered around and lavished childish pity upon the poor little bird. When, a few moments after coming inside, with a feeble gasp and flutter the sparrow died, my little sister cried as though her heart would break, and my own sympathies were moved more than I cared to show, being a boy. I went to the kitchen for a drink of water that I might cover up my feelings. It was well enough for a girl to cry, but it would never do for a boy. Grandmother wrapped the dead sparrow in a newspaper and put him upon the mantelpiece for the night, and the next day I dug his grave in the garden and we buried him with all solemnity. It was a small affair, this death of a sparrow, and something that happens in every storm, but it has lingered in my mind ever since, and somehow, even to this very day, I cannot shake off the pathos of this little tragedy. First will come the picture of the storm beating outside and the small bird fleeing before the sharp blows. Then, on the other hand, is the picture of the warm room, cozy in the glow of firelight. The storm-tossed bird sees the warmth and light and flies toward it, only to dash out his life against the window-glass. It is well that every child should learn early in life this lesson of the dead sparrow. Then will he pity and protect the dumb creatures. Then will he see how man was set above the creatures of the fields and woods, not to destroy them, but to protect and encourage them, and be mindful of their coming and going. And why should he not, since we are told that not a sparrow falleth to the ground unnoticed by our Heavenly Father? End of chapter 1